0: The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. You're listening to an encore presentation of Pilgrim's Progress. We will not be taking calls today. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley, pastor of the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. Many years ago, I was a guest speaker at a Holy Spirit Revival Conference up in New York State. Also, one of the other speakers at that time was a man by the name of Armand guesswine Armand guesswine was an evangelist from England. He was an old man then. He's now passed on to his reward. But Armin and my heart beat together. He came to me after the presentation, and he handed me a little booklet. And he said, Pastor, I believe that this little book, this testimony, will touch your heart. He was right. I keep pulling it out and reading it and doing what it says. It was written by Reverend Owen Murphy. I don't know who he was. There's no date in the publication. I know it's old because it's it's yellowed. But let me just give a, a little bit of his history. He writes, I was stricken with polio. I was paralyzed from the waist downward. I was pronounced as hopelessly incurable by five London specialists. Having heard and knowing the amazing result of covenant prayer, in desperation my wife and I sought the face of God. According to that pattern that a miracle might be wrought and new health be given. Only God could have done anything in such a hopeless case. A few weeks later the answer came, suddenly. It was a dark, foggy morning. I lay there helplessly upon my bed in prayer, when suddenly the whole of my room was suddenly filled with the wonderful presence of the Lord. It seemed as though the sun had suddenly shone through the fog and filled the whole room with its beautiful light, a strange and wonderful peace swept over my weakened body. New life surged through my helpless muscles, and strengthened by the mighty power of God, I stepped out of my bed, made Entirely whole. Without a mark of polio anywhere upon my body, I was made perfectly well, in radiant health and strength. I stand today before you as a genuine miracle of God's goodness and power. The only one who entered my room that morning was the Master himself with healing in his blessed hands. He came in answer to covenant prayer. He came in answer to covenant prayer. We are a part of the new covenant. And the Lord has promised that he will be with us. That we can depend upon him. That we can trust him. That he will see us through. We are in such... A dire situation in America. No political party, no social program. No church outreach, no church concert. Not better marketing. None of those things will help turn America around. What America needs is for Jesus to step in. We need the divine power of our Lord and Master. We don't need the power of some God of heaven who is not our Father. Many are saying today that all gods are the same, that they all lead to the same place. And they're correct in that all gods lead to the same place. They lead to the judgment bar of our Father. The Father of Jesus Christ. And there Jesus will sit in judgment in that final day. We need that Jesus. We need that God. We need the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We need Jesus. America is crashing. America is being utterly destroyed by enemies of freedom, by enemies of righteousness, by enemies of the scriptures, by enemies of the Christian faith. Our nation is being destroyed. Our president gives every evidence that he is not a Christian as do many of the leaders of this nation. It is obvious that we are on on a road to economic ruin to destruction. It is clear that we're on the road to total depravity with every morality cast out into the into the dump. Everything unclean is spewing into our culture. Our children are sitting at video games, killing person after person after person. You think they're not being trained to kill others? I'm terrified by what I see in America. And I know the answer is found in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. We need a divine intervention in this country. And if we do not have it, we will perish, and we will lose everything that we have treasured of this great nation that God has so blessed. I want to share with you today some of the words of Reverend Owen Murphy, this... British pastor and evangelist. The year was 1904. It stands out in the history of Wales. And by the way, I sat for many hours with Armin Gueswine as he told me about the Welsh revival. He was there, he participated in it, he preached in it. 1904 was a year that will never be forgotten. And those who were privileged to live in those days still speak of its heaven-sent scenes with the greatest of awe. Like a mighty tornado, the Spirit of God swept across the land until mountains and valleys Cities and villages were filled with the mighty manifestation of God. Churches were crowded and meetings went on day and night. Prayer, singing, testimony would sweep over congregations in torrents, and hundreds turned to Christ. Never in the history of Wales had such indescribable scenes been witnessed. Dr. Campbell Morgan preaching on the great revival in the westminster chapel in 1904 declared here is revival that comes from heaven there's no preaching no order no no hymn books no choirs no no organs no collections no advertising there were organs but they were silent there were ministers but no preaching they were among the people praising god Yet the Welsh revival is a revival of preaching, for everybody is preaching. No order, yet it moves from day to day, country to country, with matchless precision, with the order of an attacking force. No song books, but ah oh, me, I never wept tonight over the singing. When the Welsh sing, they abandon themselves to their singing. We sing as if we thought we would be respectable to be heard by the one next to us. No choir. No. They were all choir. Today the Sunday school, the Bible class, and the family altar are reaping their harvest. Wales is a blaze for God already More than 50,000 converts have been recorded, and the great awakening shows no sign of waning. It's sweeping over hundreds of hamlets and cities, emptying the the bars and the theaters and the dance halls, filling the churches night after night with praying multitudes. Go where you will, into, into, into the bank, into the store, the trains, everywhere men are talking about God. If you could stand above Wales looking at it, You would see the fire breaking out here and there and yonder and somewhere else without any prearrangement. It is a divine visitation in in which God is saying to us, see what I can do without the things you're depending upon. See what I can do through a praying people who are prepared to depend wholly and absolutely upon me. Like a tree shaken by a mighty storm, Wales was moved by the power of God until almost every home in the nation felt its impact. Newspapers in bold headlines carried the news of the amazing scenes taking place. So great was the fear of God and conviction of sin that gripped the people that in some communities crime stopped. Stopped. Magistrates were presented with a blank paper, no cases to be tried, to commemorate the occasion. They were all presented with white gloves. In more than one place, the post office supply of money orders blanks, the money order blanks were exhausted. As people sought to make restitution by paying old debts, The bars and theaters were closed while stores were sold out of Bibles and Testaments. Members of Parliament, busy attending revival services, postponed their political meetings. Theatrical companies coming into districts found no audiences for all the world was praying. Temperance workers saw that the Spirit of God accomplished more in three months than they'd accomplished in 40 years. Such then is revival, a mighty, sovereign moving of God in answer to the cries of men and women who've gone down upon their knees and travail before God, a visitation of God through His Spirit that pours tormenting conviction of sin upon the ungodly wherever they may be until multitudes have turned to Christ a demonstration of God that closes the dens of iniquity, transforms the lives and homes of multitude, fills the churches and causes the influence of spiritual values to be felt throughout the whole nation, a genuine moving of God that lays a spiritual foundation for the blessings of God in future generations. My brothers and my sisters, this is what we must have. We must have God. We must give up our little plans, our little strategies, and we must pray, and we must meet the conditions. He continues with the ashes of past revival before us, for those scenes today are only history. We may ask the question, can those scenes be repeated? Can God send a similar revival today? Yes, God can do more than that. God is waiting to do it. In every age, the revival resources of God have been waiting to be turned loose when God could find men and women who would stand before him in holiness and prayer and faith and make it possible. And to those who travail the highways of the world, There are obvious and encouraging signs that God is once more moving in the hearts of men to bring about a new spiritual awakening. How do I know that? Because revivals only come when there is a great need. And if ever there was a great need, today is that day. Today our culture is more wicked then Sodom and Gomorrah. We have committed the same sins. We've transgressed the law of God. We filled our churches with entertainment, flesh. As one great man said, I went, I went to church, and I found the world. I went to the world and I found the church. The spiritual awakening in the Hebrides began in 1949 and 52. It has stirred the hearts of God's people not because of its size, but because of its quality and challenge. In spite of the scattered nature of the country, and the difficulty of transportation the rugged and unemotional nature of the people and the limited population the fact that hundreds have traveled and turned to christ in life-changing conversion accompanied by such god-given scenes inspires us with new faith with new faith for a far greater awakening in our own land as the tidings of the Great Awakening of America in 1857 swept across the ocean and brought revival to Ireland in 1859, so it can be again today. And the purpose of God, it's time for revival. Electrified by the conviction, a great crowd of people drawn from every part of the earth to the world famous Keswick Convention in England began to slowly file out of the convention tent. Suddenly, a woman in an awe struck voice exclaimed, It was just as though God had stepped out of heaven. and so it seemed to me he writes I sat spellbound listening as these men described the work of revival the visitation of God to the Hebrides hundreds had been converted many without a word being spoken to them alcoholics trembling under conviction in the bar house People gathered in churches to pray, great conviction of sin sweeping over districts, causing sinners to fall helpless in the roads. Meetings lasting for hours and four services being held nightly, with churches being transformed. The preacher being called at four o'clock in the morning to pray with men and women outside of the police station who'd been stricken with great conviction and were crying for God to have mercy upon them. We need this. We need this. We need Jesus. We need people of all denominations to be burdened for real revival. Men and women who are willing to seek God in fasting and prayer on behalf of their churches. There must be preparation for revival. The word of God, history, and the gracious visitations of God to the Hebrides emphasize this fact, and that preparation must begin with God's people. History turned another page when the Free Church Presbytery of Lewis met in the town of Stornway to discuss the appalling spiritual conditions existing in their communities. While the haunts of sin were crowded, churches were almost empty. If your church today is is jammed with people, it's not because of Jesus. It's because you're offering them what brings them comfort in this world. It's because you have the program and the music. You have the world. Right now, people in America do not want to hear a straight word of conviction for sin. They want to hear just love, but no conviction of sin. Love and conviction of sin go hand in hand. You can't separate them. He continues, in many places youth had almost disappeared from the house of God. And it seemed only a matter of a short time before many churches would have to close their doors. No one, however, ever dreamed for a moment that this special meeting was destined to be the preliminary to the amazing spiritual awakening that was to come. Amongst the many who were deeply concerned about the desperate spiritual condition of the churches was a little group of men. They met in a little wooden barn, greatly burdened for revival for for their community, and they began to pray. And there suddenly dawned upon them like a flash of light the great fact of God as a covenant-keeping God who had made covenant promises. If this is true, they reasoned, we can enter into a covenant with him, and if we keep our part, then he must keep his. Has God given a covenant promise for revival? Immediately, the words in Second Chronicles 7.14 came to them, If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray, and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. That night they entered into a solemn covenant with God to take upon themselves the burden for revival for the community, to humble themselves, and to prevail in prayer until revival came. Now let me take you to a little barn by the side of the road, and see these men on their faces before God. They've gathered to pray, but this is no ordinary prayer meeting. Here are men, led by their pastor, who are there to do business with God. And at ten o'clock at night, they kneel down in the to plead with God that he would bear his arm in revival. For months they waited. For months they gathered in the little barn three nights a week, and waited upon God until four or five in the morning, determined to wrestle with God until the answer had been given. Then one night a young man, a deacon from the free church, arose from his knees, and he began to read Psalm 24. Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Or who shall stand in the holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, he shall receive the blessing of God. Brethren, he said, we've been praying for months for revival, waiting before God, but I would like to ask you now, are our hearts clean? Is your heart pure? In response to this searching challenge, they fell upon their knees in confession and rededication, and again they began to travail in prayer even more earnestly. An hour later, three of them were laying prostrate upon the floor. They had prayed until they were exhausted. By five o'clock, revival had come. The barn was suddenly filled with the glory of God, The power of God that was let loose in that barn shook the whole community of Lewis. That same morning in a little cottage several miles away lived two elderly sisters, one 84 and the other 82 years of age. For many years they had sought the face of God for revival, and knowing the others were waiting upon God, they had gathered around a little peat fire to spend the night in prayer. Suddenly something happened the glory of God swept into their cottage. God then spoke to them, revealing to them the very man whom he was going to use, the Reverend Duncan Campbell, a Presbyterian minister and a mighty man of prayer. I just want to stop a minute. Many of you listening to this broadcast today have never, you've never felt or seen the mighty power of God sweep into a meeting I was in high school. It was a chapel period, a Christian school. It started like every other chapel. There was a guest speaker. His name was John Lure. And he was preaching about Jesus. He was entertaining, but he was serious. He was speaking to a a large crowd of high school kids. And suddenly the place was filled with the Spirit of God. He had to stop preaching. Students were sitting in their chairs weeping. Loudly, loudly weeping. the little school, Mount Vernon Academy in Mount Vernon, Ohio. The presence of God came. The meeting lasted all day. People got up and made confession. They got right with God. It was in that meeting that the Holy Spirit touched me and utterly removed anger from my heart. I'd been a very angry young man. Constantly fighting. Holy Spirit swept in and took the anger from my heart. Changed me. I've never been the same again. And then I've had personal experiences. Many years ago I went in to seek the Lord in the bedroom and I finally was exhausted. It was dark outside. I was alone. A little apartment in Washington, D.C., Tacoma Park. I lay down on the bed, weeping. Suddenly the room was filled with the glory of God. I could see every part of that room in total detail but I was unable to move. I couldn't get up. The glory of God was so powerful and so heavy, I thought I would die. His anointing came upon my life. And again, I was never the same. My life has been guided by the Holy Spirit. He guided me to open the National Prayer Chapel. A dear brother, Pastor David Wilkerson from Times Square Church in New York City, the Lord moved on his heart to donate tens of thousands of dollars to start this ministry. He was my pastor. He's now gone on to his reward with Jesus. The cry of his heart was that there should be revival in Washington, D.C. And he said, Ray, it's going to come in church. Wait for the Lord. In one day, the National Prayer Chapel will be birthed. It will not grow as normal churches do. It will, on one day, be birthed as the Holy Spirit breaks out in great power. And so now... I pray, I cry out, I preach the word on the radio. I'm waiting for Jesus to come. And I'm looking for men and women who want Jesus to come and who are willing to pray, who are willing to cry out to God, who are willing to humble their hearts, who are willing to turn away from all sin, who are willing to stop compromising with darkness? Men and women who are willing to wash their hands that we could receive the blessing of Jesus in revival. I'm going to continue sharing. In 2 weeks said the Lord I shall send upon this community the greatest revival spiritual awakening it has ever known A wire was sent to the man of God but when he received it he was already booked for another meeting and he replied it's impossible for me to come at the time but keep on praying I'll come next year They said that is what man was that is what man said but God has said that he will be here in two weeks. In the meantime, another letter began to reach him, and strangely enough, his next meeting was canceled. Two weeks. He was in Lewis. The first meeting was held in the old parish church. Many people gathered in great expectancy of a great moving of God, but strangely enough, nothing happened. It was just an ordinary service. Seeing the disappointment upon the preacher's face, one of the praying deacons came to him. Don't be discouraged, preacher. He said, it is coming. I already hear the rumbling of heaven's chariot wheels. We will have another night of prayer and then we will see what God will do for us. They went over to a near. Home, and there they knelt in prayer and began to cry out before God. At three o'clock in the morning God swept in and about a dozen people were laid prostrate upon the floor and lay there speechless. Something had happened. God had moved into action as he had promised. Revival had come. Men and women were going to find deliverance. As they left the cottage that morning, they found men and women seeking God. Lights were burning in the houses along the road. No one seemed to think of sleep. Three men were found lying by the roadside in torment of conviction, crying for God to have mercy upon them. The Spirit of God was moving into action, and soon the parish was to be stirred from one end to the other. The events of the second night will never be forgotten by those who were privileged to attend. Buses came from the four corners of the island, crowding the church. Seven men were being driven to the meeting in a butcher's truck when suddenly the Spirit of God fell upon them in great conviction, and all were converted before they even reached the church. As the preacher delivered his message, tremendous conviction of sin swept upon the people. Tears rolled down the faces of the people. And from every part of the building came the cries of men and women crying to God for mercy. So deep was the distress of some that their voices could be heard outside in the road. A young man beneath the pulpit cried out, Oh God, hell is too good for me. The meeting closed when the people began to move out. As the last person was about to leave, a young man began to pray. Under a tremendous burden of intercession, he prayed for three-quarters of an hour. And as he prayed, the people kept gathering until there were twice as many outside the church as there were inside. And when the young man stopped praying, the elder gave out Psalm 132, and the congregation began to sing that old hymn. The people streamed back into the church again, and the meeting went on until 4 a.m. The moment people took their seats the Spirit of God in awful conviction began to sweep through the church. Hardened sinners began to weep and confess their sins. Just as the meeting was closing, a messenger hurried up to the preacher, very excited. Sir, come with me. There's a crowd of people outside the police station. They're all weeping in an awful distress. We don't know what's wrong with them, but they're calling for someone to come and pray with them. Describing the scene outside the police station, He said he was reminded of one of the amazing days of Charles Finney. The minister prayed. He said, I saw a sight I never thought was possible, something I shall never forget. Under a starlit sky, men and women were kneeling everywhere by the roadside, outside the cottages, even behind the peat stacks, crying for God to have mercy upon them. Nearly 600 people who had been making their way to the church were, when suddenly the Spirit of God had fallen upon them in great conviction, like Paul on the way to Damascus, causing them to fall to their knees in repentance. For five weeks it swept on in that one parish, Duncan Campbell conducted four services nightly in one church at 7 o'clock, at 10 in the evening, at midnight, at 3 o'clock, and he would get home to sleep a bit between 5 and 6 o'clock, tired but very happy to be in the midst of such a wonderful moving of God. After five weeks, the revival began to spread. And what had taken place in Lewis now began to take place in others. As men and women throughout the island began to grip God in desperate intercession and prayer for revival, the Spirit of God swept on an in increasing power. Arnall, a small community, came within the path of this spiritual tornado gripped by a spirit of religious indifference, it was reckoned that hardly a young person darkened the house of God. Instead, they were given over to drinking and poaching and other sinful pleasures. News of the gracious moving of God having spread through the island. It was here an, oppor- an opposition meeting was held since a similar visitation fell upon Arnall. Although the church was crowded with those who came from various parts of the island, very few people from Arnall attended the service. In desperation, the little prayer band made their way to the farmhouse to plead the promises of God. And just after midnight, a young man arose to his feet and he prayed a prayer that will never be forgotten by those who were present. Lord, you made a promise. Are you going to fulfill it? We believe that you are a covenant-keeping God. Will you be true to your covenant? You have said that you will pour water upon him that is thirsty and the flood upon the dry ground. Lord, I know how thirsty, how thirsty I am. I know where I stand. And I tell you now, I am thirsty. I am thirsty for a manifestation of the presence and power of God. And Lord, before I sat down, I want to tell you, before I sit down, I want to tell you that your honor is at stake. Have you ever prayed like that? Here's a man praying the prayer of faith that heaven must answer. One could imagine the angels of heaven looking over the battlements of glory and saying, this is a man who believes God. This is a man who dares to stand firm upon the promises of God and take from God what has been promised. And then came the answer. The house shook like a leaf, just as in Acts 4. As God turned loose his mighty power, dishes rattled. An elder exclaimed, an earth tremor. Then wave after wave of divine power swept through that room. The Spirit of God swept also through the village. People could not sleep. Houses were lit all night. People walked in the streets in great conviction. Others knelt by their bedsides crying for God to pardon them. As the praying men left the prayer meeting, the preacher walked into the house for a glass of milk and found the lady of the house with seven others down upon their knees crying for pardon. Within 48 hours, the bars that were usually crowded with drinking men of the village were closed. Today it's in ruins. Fourteen young people who'd been drinking there were gloriously converted. Those same men could be found three times a week with others down upon their knees before God from 10 o'clock until midnight praying for their old associates to spread the revival. It was in this village that within 48 hours nearly every young person between the age of 12 and 20 had surrendered to Christ, and it was reckoned that every young man between the ages of 18 and 35 could be found in the prayer meeting. What do you think of what I'm sharing with you? We have a few minutes. I'm going to open the phone lines. Are you hungry for God? Are you thirsty? Do you care about this nation? Our phone number is 877-534-0780. Does your heart desire a supernatural moving of God in conviction of sin? Do you want to see America changed? We're not going to change it by going to court. We're not going to change it by advertising big meetings. It's going to be changed on our knees. It's going to be changed when God steps down from heaven. Wherever there's a manifestation of the holiness of God, there's there's also going to be great conviction of sin. This is the outstanding common denominator of all revivals. Men and women who had no real conviction of sin in their life, who are just walking through life, suddenly when the power of God comes, there's great conviction. We see ourselves then the way God sees us. So real and deep had been the conviction of sin that even the most hardened sinners, tough, hard, notorious characters, literally cried out in agony of soul. Some have been found lying helpless by the roadside, stricken with conviction, as in the days of Wesley and Finney and the Welsh revival. Another remarkable feature has been the persistent nature of the work of the spirit in following men and women until decisions were made. one man, like Jonah of old. He'd been spoken to about his personal need of salvation, and suddenly conviction gripped him, and he began to tremble. And he said to himself, This is not going to get a hold of me. I'll get away from here, and I'm going to go to the bar, and I'm going to get drunk. Entering the bar, he ordered his drink, but To his consternation, he overheard a, a group of men in the bar discussing their own conviction of sin and the fear of being lost. He began to tremble even more. He said, this is no place for a man who wants to shake off this conviction. And so he went from one place to another. young woman came up to him as he went to a, a lounge. He didn't know her. She said to him, where is eternity going to find us if God should strike us dead tonight? Such tremendous conviction swept down upon this young man. He surrendered himself to Jesus. He fell on his face and began to weep. And he was converted that night. He was born from above. This work was so widespread, the work of conviction, that in some areas hardly a person escaped. One man, He was driving along the road when suddenly before him he saw a vision of hell. Startled, he jammed on his brakes. He pulled the car onto the roadside. He got out of his car and he knelt beside it. He confessed his sin. He got right with Jesus and he surrendered. Sometimes this kind of divine conviction of sin can cause great distress of mind. Such was the case of a man so convinced of his godless life and seemingly unable to get peace of mind in spite of his repentance that he finally rushed down to the seashore and hiding among the rocks prepared to commit suicide. While all of this was happening, A young woman was kneeling in prayer, and she had a vision of this man, God showing her exactly where he was and what he was about to do. Quickly she rose to her feet. She called her pastor. She told him where to find the unfortunate man. The minister arrived just in time to save the man, not only from physical death, but also from eternal hell. One of the men who was later to become a wonderful trophy of God's grace was out in the fields when great conviction fell upon him. He began to tremble violently. He said to himself, You're not a sissy. What's the matter with you? The voice of God seemed to thunder into his soul. You are a poacher You are a lawbreaker. He knew what God meant. He had been breaking the law. He'd been poaching. He was a drunkard. He was a godless fellow. And this was a new experience to him, feeling miserable and wretched because of the great burden of sin. He went along to the church and was gloriously converted. A man sitting in a hotel was met by God in the same amazing way Stretching forth his hand, he was able to pick up his beer. When he suddenly became conscious of the presence of God, he began to tremble, and great conviction took hold of him as the voice of God began to thunder in his soul, putting down his beer, giving up his alcohol. He was gloriously converted and became a witness for Jesus. This is the kind of revival we need. The supernatural power of God gripping the hearts of men in soul-shaking conviction. Not even using the instrumentality of another person. Just speaking clearly to a man. Convicting of of the sin and the darkness in the heart. We need a visitation of God. We need a visitation of God. Today, America stands at the crossroads. The crossroads of destiny. Faced with an unavoidable choice. Either we must take the mark of the man with the inkhorn who marks us for the kingdom of God or we must take the mark of the beast. It must be revival through a people upon their faces before God or it must be the Antichrist. It's time for there to be tears in the pulpit and tears in the pews It's time for tears in the streets, and the homes. For America is staggering beneath its gigantic burden of spiritual sin, moral deterioration, material corruption, thousands of demonized lives and homes, a growing threat of a nation overrun by heathen communism, plunged into the indescribable chaos resulting in race riots and civil war, millions slain through the invasion of godless hordes. Today the hordes are in our nation. Godless men who were in positions of power and authority. Hollywood with its spewing vile wickedness out into the hearts of men and women. Today we stand at the crossroads of destiny. Either America is going to be destroyed by the judgments of God as was Sodom and Gomorrah, or we are going to turn in revival. We are going to turn and repent for our sin and cry out to God. It's time to cry out to God. Almighty God, I come today Standing on your covenant, knowing that you are a God who answers prayer, that you are a God of miracles, that you are a God who can step into time and space and history and change everything, knowing that you are a God, a covenant God, who calls us as the church to leave our wickedness to leave our indifference, to bestir ourselves and begin to search after you with all of our hearts, to give up thinking that all of our clever little ways will ever win the world. Lord, we can't win the world. It's the work your Holy Spirit must do. I come today crying aloud, O God, asking, would you come and move among us? Lord, will you come and move among us? Thank you for listening to today's broadcast. Will you join me in prayer? Will you join me in prayer for revival? Go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. We'll be praying on every Tuesday evening, every Sunday at noon come pray. God bless you. I'll talk to you soon. Do you want to sell your house? Did you know the